0: You are listening to Fantha Tracks.
1: Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Time to get all your Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Track.
0: Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark LoCaster.
1: That's not true. That's impossible.
0: Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Making Tracks, brought to you by the fine folk over at FanfTracks.com. I'm Mark, I'm one of your co-hosts, and this week, as always, I am joined by the right honourable reverend of the Church of Fanfa, Mr Mark Newbold.
1: Funny enough, you know, when you go to church and they give you a little bit of wine, a little bit of bread. I've got no bread, but I have got a little bit of wine, I'm drinking some sherry. So uh, yeah, all is good. How's your Star Wars week
0: been? It's been good. I received a lovely little book known as Light of Jedi, the kickoff to the the new era in Star Wars publishing, and obviously we had a chance to watch uh, Star Wars livestream premiere, which had all those authors on talking about the High Republic. It's a, an exciting new era, as we keep on being told by um everybody at Lucasfilm uh, <laughs> for Star Wars. So, yeah, um, I'm good. I've, I've started reading the book. I'm about, I don't know, only about 60-odd pages in, but it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty good, pretty fast, and it's going to be an exciting read. So, yeah, how about you? How's your week in Star Wars been?
1: Like you say, I think this week's been dominated in a good way by the High Republic. We've had a couple of reviews on the site There's plenty more coverage to come, and it sounds like books are coming thick and faster, though you mentioned earlier before we started talking is struggling to get hold of is it the second book is it yeah A Test of
0: Courage yeah well I think that's by Justina Island from what at least I've been told from Amazon at least what my email said that it's been pushed back to like the middle of March or something which is a little bit frustrating but there are copies of the audiobook floating around for people to get hold of if they want it
1: okay that's good to know Um, I'm looking forward to digging into this it feels like a long time since we've had a big crossover it's been done in oh, comics yeah. probably more recently than books, hasn't it? But mm. something good to get our teeth into. It's going to get people talking. I know we'll talk about it more, you, me, Matt and Brian on Cannon Fodder. Obviously, Brian will be talking about it on Good Morning Tatooine with various co-hosts. So there's there's going to be plenty of coverage coming from the High Republic on Fanta Tracks. I'm pleased it feels like, you know, like that live stream you just mentioned, Kathy Kennedy sort of opening it up, that gave it an extra sort of level of importance, I guess, that the bosses – is acknowledging it. It's not just a book project. It's as it's all canon now that the format, the delivery method might not be $200 million box office mega movie but nevertheless this is just as much a part of the story as anything else.
0: It is and it, it seems like they've put a lot of effort and thought behind it uh, you know all through last year really with the, with the delay of the release and stuff like that um, you know they did a lot of kind of articles on stars.com didn't they and they showed all this yeah. uh, concept art and uh, And I think even just going to the lengths of actually having the premiere on a live stream shows actually how important it is to them and, and it's very clear that they put a lot of effort in into this and they spent a lot of time trying to kind of try and do something a little bit different but also take styles in a slightly different direction so time will tell whether or not it's going to be as exciting as um we're hoping it is and you know as you said the, the books are going to be coming thick and fast at least for the next couple of years and stuff so make some space on your bookshelves
1: <laughs> or buy new bookshelves i think that's probably what we'll, we'll all, be doing. all that yeah exactly <laughs> one thing <laughs> yes. i did like before we move on obviously we'll talk again more about this on cannon fodder but one thing i think That I like is that they're doing something a bit similar to what Marvel do with the movies, in that they're doing it in phases. It's a three-phased attack in that sense, and I think that might be something that they could translate across to the movies as well, because it feels with the films and the TV that they are skipping around the timeline an awful lot, whereas maybe if they did something similar to the Horror Republic in the sense of focusing on an era, like Ahsoka, Book of Boba Fett, Rangers of the New Republic, and The Mandalorian, are all set within a fairly tight area by what we can tell. Maybe yeah. that will work doing it in phases, if you like, for the for the big screen. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, from what I remember, going right back to the acquisition of Lucasfilm by Disney, they hinted at they wanted to try and do something very similar to the Marvel Cinematic Universe model. We, we kind of started to, to hear a little bit about this when they did the announcements for the, the slates of new shows coming to Disney Plus and talked about how uh, some of the series is going to kind of tie into a multi-series crossover event which is pretty much what they do in the MCU, isn't it? You have like three or four kind of standalone films I and mean, it normally links into a an Avengers movie or something like that. So, I mean, I think the, the thing to do is is to see how it all kind of goes. And I think it's it's good that we we as Star Wars fans are going to embrace this. And as long as we can all keep up with it, because that's the thing, if you've got multi-crossover events happening in publishing and also in TV and stuff, it, it's going to be a busy time to try and keep track of everything. And not, and almost as, a, as we talked about just before we came on finding time to actually consume the media be it 11 or 12 hours worth of audiobook or you know trying to sit down for a few hours every week sometimes just to read it's quite challenging though I it's mean, sometimes i've struggled just to chomp through the weekly comics let alone you know a new book every now and again and and of course then what happens is the moment you kind of fall behind on some of these larger publishing programs you start to lose a little bit of enthusiasm because it kind of becomes a bit of a chore yeah, uh, from what I remember, I had a similar kind of thing happen to me midway round the New Jedi Order. And obviously that was huge. That was like a 21 book series. You shouldn't have to kind of feel like it's mandatory to consume everything. And also you should be consuming it at a rate that is enjoyable to you. But of course the world is what it is at the moment and social media being what it is it's going to be very difficult to kind of circumnavigate all those kind of spoilers as they start dropping so we'll see how it all goes but i think it's it's a good thing to do and i think it shows a much more clearer game plan than what we've ever had from the sequel era films
1: it feels to me because disney invested so much time and effort into the sequel trilogy that kind of expected them to delve more into that era and i like the fact we've heard for years you go back to celebration three in 2005 and people were saying oh lucas is going to make a an old republic film and now we're getting something that's centuries or millennia further forward than that it's only a couple of hundred years before the phantom menace it's like it's about 150 years it's not it's like comparing the roman empire to the victorian era it's like it's not that far away it's only a couple of generations But really you know your grandfather's father was around at that time it's not eons ago nevertheless the galaxy is very clearly a different place I've only so far read the short story in The Insider which I reviewed for Mm -hmm. Fanthatrax Charles Saul's short story really enjoyed it just setting up the concept of Starlight Beacon and some of the characters that are involved and the beginning of this this huge event that's happening in hyperspace that's just sort of starting to lay it all out. It was I really enjoyed that, so I'm very much looking forward to getting into the story. Brian said it recently on one of the canon fodders, You know, you've got your ongoing Star Wars Bounty Hunters, you've got Afra, you've got Vader, you've got IDW Star Wars Adventures, and now you've got Horror Republic Adventures, and Marvel is doing a Horror Republic comic. So there's, what six or seven ongoing titles? Yeah, just in comics. And then already, I think they've announced with what they announced on the stream, I think there's already eight High Republic books announced already. You just mentioned there was 21 books in the New Jedi Order. We're almost at half of that already. Yeah. Just from what Mm. what we've announced. And of course, we should have had the High Republic a couple of days before Celebration in August. So really by January, we should be quite a way into that phase one. But of course... Everything's been put back. And I suppose the authors have had the luxury of being able to get ahead of the curve now. You know, they can finesse it and make it work to how they want to do it. But nevertheless, there is so much content coming. It is is—it is a concern to me as, you know, doing the site, doing the pods, all the other stuff that we do. I can't pretend to say I'll be able to read everything from cover to cover. I know I won't or listen to every audio book, at least as long as I've got a flavor of it so I kind of know enough of what's going on, I'm, I'm kind of content with that because, as you say, there's it, just too much just to read at the moment and do everything else you need to do. I'll tell
0: you what, I completely forgot about all those extra titles coming and, and like you me- mentioned about the Marvel comics, and that would explain why my um, Marvel comic bill this month was more than actually has been in the last previous month. So But also part of that, I think, is just down to the Marvel comics maybe getting a little bit more back on track because obviously last year was all over the place in terms of release schedules and stuff because that went completely out of the window. So hopefully from that sense, things will kind of get back to a certain level of normality.
1: Hi, this is Steve Grad from Beckett Authentication. And I will tell you what, I approve and I authenticate Fanta tracks and you should too. And that moves us on to our next point because MCM have announced some yeah. of their events here in the UK for 2021. It's good news. I mean, it's especially good news for, for tracks because we can get out to events. But for yourself, as a key member of the Rebel Legion, it must be exciting news to know that there's conventions coming back again.
0: Oh, it's amazing news. It is that light at the end of a tunnel. MCM and Repop have kind of done the sensible thing. They've kind of said, we're, we're not going to try and cram think, or even worry about the first half of the year and they're just going to um, focus on the back end so you've got MCM London in October and then MCM Birmingham in like mid-November and those are the two big kind of conventions each year that are always a highlight for all the members of like the, the RL and you know the 501st and stuff so hopefully by that point you know the vaccination machine will be well and truly underway and a lot of us will be able to comfortably go there without necessarily maybe feeling like we could drop down two days after. It's exciting. I've already booked my hotel for Birmingham. Hopefully it will, you know, all go ahead. But obviously, uh, when I posted it on the, the forum the other day, I kind of did put the caveat, you know, everybody understands this already, but it's you know, these dates are subject to lots of provisions and stuff like that. And we've got to remember that both VNEC and uh London Excel are nightingale hospitals. So Yes, the pandemic may be under control by then, but the size of maybe the conventions may be scaled down and the, the number of attendance may be reduced and even the amount of uh, costumers that could attend from our clubs may have to be reduced as well. So, you know, it's very early days, but it's, it's great news and hopefully it gives me and you a chance to catch up because we haven't actually seen each other since I started recording. That's ridiculous isn't Crazy. it I know
1: I, Normally on any given year Bearing in mind We live a few hours apart You know We see each other in Birmingham A few times a year We see each other in London A few times a year Or I actually thought about this I think the last time I would have actually seen you To say hello to face to face Was at the Rise of Skywalker Premier yeah. You were on the other side Of the red carpet weren't Yeah you? totally That's totally when <laughs> so, it was you know, yeah, so. yeah Which is insane That's over a year ago But for me Birmingham's my local one So November in Birmingham 13th and 14th of November So for me that's easy MCM down at XL That'll be a hotel for me But again Oxford October, hoping that neither of these clash with Rancho Obi-Wan. I desperately want to get back to Rancho yeah. if I can this year. But again, it all depends on the status of the pandemic. We've heard today that the government are hoping that all adults will have been inoculated and had their shots by the autumn. So that comes mm. before this. we look in October, November, we're late autumn really here yeah. and early winter. So fingers crossed we'll have some level of protection by that point. I reiterate what Brian said, and apologies for the crude language. What wouldn't I give for a shit convention right now? <laughs> I think I've never thought. I mean, we've we've been to plenty of them. Yeah, and you know, and when you're on the when you're on the weekly, every other weekend, you're out at a show, and you're thinking, oh, that was a waste of time. I wish not bothered with that one. Yeah, yeah, I'd give my IT for that one. I really would. Yeah,
0: but I tell you what, I, I think that's the thing. We may have just got a little bit complacent, and maybe have taken them. Even the, the crap ones were, uh, for granted a little bit. Yeah, 100%, um, yeah. I mean, let's be fair, the UK as an island isn't exactly the biggest of places. And there was normally, in the kind of for prime convention season, so let's say really May through to October, there was easily two or maybe three conventions up and down the country Every weekend. Yeah, yeah. And and yes, you do get to see the, the same familiar faces, be it signers or traders at um, many of those conventions. But it kind of almost got to the point of like saturation. And I was thinking, it was a bubble going to burst? I've I've had emails from many different convention organisers already this year saying that you know, they're, they're looking at putting one on. It, and again, actually, it might be later in the year, some of the ones which were planned to happen in May and stuff may be pushed back to, say, August or something. So it's good that people are starting to think about it. And and I think actually, you know, just for the convention scene... One year without conventions is manageable and tolerable, but I think you know anything longer than really another six months without conventions is probably going to really devastate the actual industry. You take that away from uh, like a trader, and they're they're not earning a huge amount of money a year at all. You know the options for them to to make money
1: is is really greatly reduced. It seems logical to consider this and and assume that when we finally do get back to it, and and you're totally right. I think we have kind of taken it for granted because we do just kind of get on that cycle of Birmingham in, in March and London in April and whatever, you know, and two or three far this ones in Fordham Bridge and all the other things that we do. Do you think when we get back to it and we start to get into some sort of rhythm again, do you think that the landscape will have significantly changed? Do you anticipate seeing a lot of the familiar faces at stalls and a lot of familiar names and things, or do you think things would have changed quite a bit? I think probably from a trader perspective, but
0: many of them will hopefully return. It will be interesting to see the reticence by maybe the, the general public, and there's going to be you know members of the VRL who will probably you know rightly feel nervous about their first couple of conventions, or especially the big ones. Because let's be fair, I don't think I've ever left um, Birmingham, especially in November, and then not fallen ill within like a couple of days. It's just it's just the time of year, and it's just the amount of people in such a small proximity. All indoors for one weekend it's like naturally going to happen hopefully this may work in in the favor of everybody the convention organizers may start to have to reconsider how many people they can actually get on the show floor and how they can really still keep to some level of social distancing let's let's just hope that yes um everybody can come back and we'll be able to pick up where we left off really and I suppose the good thing is, for many of the costumes especially with a 501st, not necessarily with the Rebel Legion, but with the 501st, obviously, if you're in Stormtrooper
1: armor, you've got gloves on, you're wearing a helmet, and you know, you're know you you're probably pretty well protected, to be fair. I did wonder that, you know, what the status... I mean, obviously, most Rebel Legion guys' face is visible, yeah. for most of you. For the UKG, they're behind helmets. I just wonder what this, the situation is with that, in terms of... I mean, even by November, October-November, I, I still think you'll see... I think masks will become a very common thing. Thing in general public anyway. Yeah. At these conventions, it's quite a broad width of age range as well. You're gonna have kids there, you're gonna have teenagers. The older you skew, the more likely you are to see masks. And the Rebel Legion's the same you've got a breadth of, of age range. There.
0: It's not just age range, you know, there's also people who have got um various kind of like hidden disabilities um and, yeah. and illnesses. And so you know from from my perspective when when we come back to it we've got to make sure that our members are Taking the adequate precautions. So whilst it may not be screen accurate, I will be kind of encouraging people to wear masks with their costumes. And if they want to maybe take their masks off for a photo, but, you know, you can put it back on and maybe around when we have a table, you know, you were wearing masks. We'll have to see how it all pans out. Because again, it might be that some of the convention organisers will kind of say, well, we're going to still maintain a, a one metre... Distance. We received an email from from Lucasson giving us advice about the coming year and stuff, and and they basically said, obviously every region is going is different. So country to country, who is trooping and when they're trooping and how they're trooping is is pretty much down to the local governance and also what steps the actual bases themselves feel they need to take to ensure the safety of the membership, which is ultimately the most important thing for membership and also for the general public.
1: Well, we've got pretty much a year to go until these yeah. events actually take place. So, fingers crossed, things settle. The vaccine gets out. As many people as can possibly have it have it across the age range, that everybody should have it personally. We can all get together and start enjoying Star Wars again face-to-face. It'd be so nice. So say we all.
0: For everything in
1: one location,
0: daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts,
1: video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com. For Star Wars news 24-7, 365. Ring the bells. We're actually going to do some listeners' questions. We're not going to do one this week. We're going to do two. Because there's not a lot of news, and we want to do them because people are taking the time to send them in. So the first one's from Tony, and I'll read it all to you. Hi, guys. Happy New Year to all the Phantom Trackers. I've been enjoying your recent episodes. I've really enjoyed the breakdowns of the Mandalorian episodes as your speculations seem to go deeper than most podcasts. I'm also surprised you haven't talked about George's sequel trilogy that was in the Star Wars Archives book. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the good work from Tony. So, Mark. Yes. George's sequel trilogy ideas. I mean, he he laid them out in the, the Star Wars Archives prequel book. Yes. And gave Paul Duncan a, a good a bit of a discussion about what he would have done. And a lot of it's implied, because that's George, but he does give us enough of a, a sort of a, a layout of what he would have done. The sequel trilogy was what the sequel trilogy was, and we've discussed it ad nauseum on all the shows across Panther Tracks. With George doing a story treatment for all three, by nature, it would have been more coherent because it's one vision. What are your thoughts on what you heard of Lucas's sequel trilogy ideas oh cast my mind back to what it's was
0: November wasn't it when this kind of started surfacing what I remember, basically, there was a couple of things, a couple of nice surprises and a couple of things that worked. would have definitely been an interesting take. Um, I mean, the first thing was the fact that a bit like you could say with the sequel trilogy, this was going to focus on Leia, but this wasn't going to focus on Leia in the Resistance. This was more focus on Leia in politics and trying to kind of bring the, the new Republic together, but also try not to kind of make the same mistakes as the old Republic did, which then led to the Empire. That, to me, kind of says that's pretty... I think mean, classic prequel George Lucas is obviously visual politics, but it's also the allegory for, for you know making the same mistakes in politics time and time again and how things kind of do send, end up repeating themselves. But that would doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be dry. I mean, I think we've seen in Bloodlines by Claudia Gray that actually you can have Leia in, in a story which is heavily based around the politics of the New Republic and it'd be an exciting story. That would be quite interesting, but then... Again, you would ultimately still going to end up facing the same situation possibly as what we did um, with the sequel trilogy where the untimely death of Carrie Fisher meant that, you know, they would have to do some kind of about turn and and figure out what they could do with it. So that was interesting. Obviously, I think the big one was the fact that there was going to focus around Darth Maul. He was basically going to be like the main villain and... In a similar kind of hint that what we got to Solo, he was going to be kind of like the crime boss in the underworld and he was going to be the dude in charge of everything, taking over from where the Hutts were by the end of Return of the Jedi. I really do wish that is something that we could kind of see because I think there's been enough track laid in The Clone Wars and uh, like Rebels and you know Solo and that, just to see where things go. And I think Maul is such an interesting character that it would have been interesting to see what he does. Now, obviously, you know a little bit of a retcon is going to be needed because he did end up dying in I think it's season four of Rebels, I think it was. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But then George wanted to bring Darth Maul back again. He could have done, but then maybe they may not have actually then had that episode in Rebels.
1: What Lucas did here, what Lucas wrote here, predates the sale yes and obviously rebels season one was 2014 so season four was what 2017 17 18 um, something like that yeah you know yeah so so that would have been way in the past at that point it's it's an easy and i say this so often an easy way to bring darth maul back he got chopped in half only his top half came back his bottom half could have returned it's <laughs> doable it's definitely doable. Those legs are still kicking around on the boo somewhere at the bottom of a shaft. So, so more can come back. I won't have any talk of him not coming back. Well, <laughs> you know, he is a Sith Lord, so there's some logic to that. I, I think what Lucas was planning, you're right, absolutely right, because Carrie passing away was out of anyone's control and would have happened. Anyway, but another thing I would think as well is that if Lucas had have done this this series of films, my gut tells me that there wouldn't have been a two-year break. There would have been a three-year break between the films. Yeah. So, you know, it, let's say the first one came out in 2015, like Force Awakens, they would have filmed the next one fairly quickly and Carrie would have been a part of that and it, and it would have happened again, you know, but there would have been more time between the films. I think it would have only just been well, 2021. we have been getting the last one now if, mm. if that's the time scale would have been following. But I do like the thought that Leia... And the grandchildren would have been the focal point of this film, of this trilogy. The sequel trilogy we got was, you know, Force Awakens was Solo's film, and Last Jedi was Luke's film, and, and Rise of Skywalker, as much as they could make it, was Leia's film. This felt very much like she was the focal point of all three, and everything happened around her struggle to reinstate the Republic. And rebuild the republic, and and try not to, like you just said, try not to make all the mistakes that got made before. Not just the republic and by the rebellion, and they've the inverted commas good guys. The bad guys took their foot off the pedal as well and let things slip, and things got away from them. So just to try and make the best galaxy you can possibly make, it. and it just I don't know why it just kind of makes me think about this whole whole Republic project again. Mm. That you're looking back two centuries to an era where. They really were. There was no war. Everything was as calm as it had been for probably centuries. There's no threat of the Sith. The galaxy is a fairly stable point in the Horror Republic, and they're trying to push on and make it even better. And I sense that the Horror Republic is the start of that long fall before Palpatine gets his claws in properly, and it all really goes down the toilet. Looking at this then, do mm. you think if he'd have written them, two questions, do Go you on. think he would have brought in co-writers? Lawrence Kazdan always used to do it back in the day. Do you think a Kazdan would have come back on and worked on these, like he did, on, of course, on Force Awakens? Do you think that was a potential? Or do you think that he would have tried to do it himself? Because Lucas was always the innovator. So you look at the prequels, the technological innovations, the difference of style, the difference of editing. Do you think George would have kept pushing? This seems like this this trilogy was set much closer to Return of the Jedi than The Force Awakens was. Yeah, And so do you think he would have tried to work on getting, you know, like a de-aging technology? Do you think we'd be further ahead of the curve on that if Lucas had, you know, because Necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? Do you think Lucas would have cracked it earlier? Possibly. I mean, that's, that's a, a pretty good steer in that. I mean, because that's
0: the thing, like you said, the trilogy, and, and from what I've read about, you know, Luke's story arc in this at least, you know, he's basically, he's starting to create... And, f- and rebuild the Jedi Order which takes in like Twenty year old years or something, and I think that was the theory was that the first film would be set closer to Return of the Jedi, and then by the time we get to this, the third film, would you know the actors would be at the age they are now. Yeah, you know, almost like you have to have really heavily de-aged um, actors in the first one, when you walk it back across the, the trilogy, which is an interesting concept, um, and it totally makes sense. That yeah, I think he probably he would be pushing for something like that, and also again, um, bearing in mind what. Well, Dave Filoni and John Favreau said about the creation of the volume. Mm. Again, he might have been ahead of the curve and might have already started to use some kind of volume-like technology in the production. So I think from the production side, yeah, George is always pushing it. From a writing perspective, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think most fans would probably would you know if they had George's ear would say yeah I think you probably need a, like a co-writer or you need somebody to punch your script up after you've finished writing it but then like with Attack of the Clones he was writing rewrites and stuff Night before, you know, shooting and stuff like that. And there's always going to be an, an aspect of that to filmmaking because sometimes you don't really know how things are going to pan out to you on set. But possibly, I think Kazdan possibly would come back. I'd think that the only way you get Harrison Ford back to do any Star Wars sequel trilogy is for him to have the kind of ending that Harrison wanted for Return of the Jedi. Kaston's pretty much only really interested in writing Han Solo. Like with Force Awakens, you make a, a slightly more Han Solo-centric film. That would probably then be the one that and kind of comes back with. Then once he's done one, maybe you've got the option or maybe there's a chance that he might stay on for the rest of the trilogy.
1: There's a line that Lucas says, a, a, a statement that Lucas makes, and I want to read it out to you because I think this, this really does link up very closely to the Mandalorian this is Lucas speaking it starts out a few years after returning the Jedi and we establish pretty quickly that there's this underworld They're these offshoot stormtroopers have started their own planets and that Luke is trying to restart the Jedi to me that sounds like Gideon, Imperial Remnant, yeah. going off and doing their own thing. We've, we've met Gideon. We haven't met that many well, we haven't met any others, so we, hopefully we will. At some point, that will coalesce into a storyline. Offshoot Stormtroopers to start their own planets. Luke is trying to restart the Jedi. We saw that in the final episode of Season 2, Chapter Correct. 16. Yeah. He puts the word out, so out of 100,000 Jedi, oh, that's Lucas going right back, because I think at the time of Attack of the Clones, I think there was about 10,000 Jedi, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Maybe 50 or 100 are left across the galaxy, so nothing. The Jedi have to grow again. From scratch, so Luke has to find two and three year olds and train them. Grogu might as well be a toddler, isn't it? and we yeah, know he's exactly. fifty, but he might as well be two or three. It'll be twenty years before you have a new generation of Jedi, which kind of takes you up to the flashback scenes in Force Awakens and especially in Last Jedi. Yeah. So it kind of feels like someone somewhere, if not Disney and the writers and Lucasfilm, sitting down and stripping this out for the sequel trilogy. It feels like there to me. It feels like they've gone. That's a fairly decent little waypoint for what we want to show. In the Mandalorian, that that yeah. speaks more to the Mandalorian to me than it ever does to the sequel trilogy. Yeah, no, totally.
0: If anybody's going to have an idea of maybe what George was thinking, it's going to be Dave Filoni. Yeah. So, so yeah, it it makes it makes a a lot of sense, and um, it certainly would set it would set up a series like The Mandalorian as well. And how great would that be, then, to have Episode Seven where we see Luke Skywalker, and then actually you actually see him in a in a TV series, like, and then Grogu is then seen in Episode Eight or Episode Nine, and you know that that would make for like an amazing kind of level of crossover. Yeah. Obviously, this might be just how it's. Been edited for Star Wars: Icos, but there's very little mention of the grandkids per se. They don't mention yeah. them by name. They don't like mention Ray or somebody like that. But they do mention Darth Talon, which is quite an interesting uh, EU yeah. character.
1: Very much so from Star Wars Legacy, which was a hundred years after. Yeah, that would have been interesting to bring her back, especially in concert with Maul, because as we say, this predates. Rebels. So Rebels wouldn't have unfolded the way it did if this had have happened. Of course, Maul wouldn't have died in Rebels at Obi-Wan's hand, and it would have been a different scenario completely. And of course, if things had been different, maybe there wouldn't have been a Rebel, yeah, um, true. or a, a star's Resistance, or, or, or anything like that. But looking at the words that he says here, one thing he does say is that this story would have been shaped more about, not about a war, but about a rebuilding, so it's after the war, that this was influenced by the Iraqi wars of the early 90s as much as anything else. Mm. And that he thinks, Lucas thinks, that it was more interesting to show the rebuild than it is to show a war and a rebellion. I think from a writer's point of view, we've already had two. We've had the the greatest war of all in the Clone Wars. We have probably the most cataclysmic war of the the Galactic Civil War, spanning the whole galaxy like the Clone Wars did You know, in, in the original trilogy kind of do that again maybe Lucas thought that's not so interesting we've got again I'm making parallels to the High Republic there's no war in the High Republic it's Star Wars but it's not about a war no which is, going, which is going to be very interesting and I'm sure at some point I mean conflict has just got to happen so there will be some kind of conflict at some juncture of the High Republic otherwise it's I think it would run out of steam pretty quick because if there's no conflict where's the drama so but Lucas here wants to show I mean he makes a point he says you know the stormtroopers who refuse to give up when the Republic win you've got resistance we're seeing it in the real world, aren't we? We're seeing this in, in American politics. Yeah, you know, yeah. You say you've won, I don't believe it. Transpose that to the Star Wars galaxy, you could have something really interesting there.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That was one of those issues um, that some people did have with the sequel trilogy, was especially Force Awakens. It felt like a bit of a, a rehash of. A lot of people said a new hope, but I kind of felt it was almost like taking some of the best bits from a whole. Original trilogy, you, you could probably get a story with more depth, more character depth. Trying to rebuild stuff, and especially political aspect with Leia, you know, because she's ultimately she's got to be kind of trying to bring in planets who maybe. We're still flying the Empire flag and planets who maybe wanted to now remain neutral and stuff like that. And there was that one thing that I quite liked about um, the Empire trilogy, so Timothy's aunt's first trilogy, was Han was trying to basically legitimise the smuggling community and kind of bring them in to help them. So you could almost see that actually Han could be kind of used in that respect as well. From From a character perspective, I've always liked... Darth Talon, she's quite a striking character. It Coming back to it, it's, it's kind of a brave thing to kind of wrap up the sequel trilogy and and, and place kind of a, a lot of stock on de-aging the, the, the characters for at least the first film.
1: I mean, I wonder, on that point, I wonder, you know, if the tech wasn't there, I mean, we've just seen Chapter 16 of The Mandalorian, and it was phenomenal. It was amazing. But I think everybody agrees, whilst it was phenomenal, it's still not quite there. And we had it in Rogue One, which was, what, five years behind us now this year? Tarkin was phenomenal, but it's not quite there now. Even now, all the advances we've made, uh, and there's other films. Captain Marvel did it fantastically well with mm. Samuel L. Jackson, and you know you had it in, in Civil War, which again that was five years ago. You know with, with Robert Downey Jr., a younger version of him, that was brilliantly done. You had it in Avengers Endgame with Michael Douglas. You know you've you've seen it across the films. It works for moments, but not consistently it doesn't work fully all the way yeah I, d- I just wonder if you've gone back to 2014 2015 you know a lot of practical effects have moved on a lot since then a lot of mechanisms have got smaller and motors have got smaller so so a lot of creatures that back in the 90s Lucas would have done as a CG character like Jar Jar I'm thinking Jar Jar specifically mm. I think now you could probably have a fairly decent shot at doing Jar Jar as a guy in an yeah, outfit so, yeah with with the head and you could probably CG manipulate to make the arms a bit thinner so so he looks a bit more alien. But the crux of it, he'd be on set. The tech of not only CG has got better, but the tech of practical effects has got a lot better. And Lucas was great at finding the the midpoint between the two because ultimately, like it always was, it's whatever works best and whatever works cheapest because if Lucas had pushed on with his sequel trilogy and done it himself as Lucasfilm independent Lucasfilm, the cost would have been a massive consideration, whereas for Disney, if they spend $250 million or $300 million, is that really a big deal? You know what I mean? If, if this film's still going to make $2 billion at the box office, they're not going to lose any sleep over that, are they? No. I just think the opportunities of storytelling with the Lucas story, I can see that the conflict would have been... Not from external forces because at this point the empire is pretty much flattened and there's pockets of them around, like the remnant. But they wouldn't be the threat if a republic had coalesced into something more formal like it used to be. The conflict would have been from within, so I think that could have been interesting. You could have had friends turning on friends, and mm. and you know, you could have had a holdo type character come in and become a political threat as opposed to an ally that she was in, in last year. Just characters like that, it could have really been something quite special, I think, if and also. Icing on the Cape would have been, hey, it's George doing his ninth film he always promised us back when we were yeah, kids. Yeah, and we're finally getting to see it. What do you reckon the
0: fate is for this? Do you think we're ever likely to see this as a like a comic book, like we did with the Star Wars when Dark Horse released out? Sadly,
1: I don't think so. I think again, and there is, I know people get really weird about this, and I get why they do. Lucasfilm pre Disney sale and Lucasfilm post Disney sale are two completely different things. One's a division of Disney, and the other one is an independent filmmaking company. I think Lucas treated. Things like concept art, like stories that went in different directions that never came to pass. He saw it as not art, but as you know, interesting and there was value in it. There was something to be gleaned from it. And with this, I think Lucas would have probably got a kick out of seeing a really, like a Doug Wheatley, who is an artist I know he adores, a really good artist getting hold of this script and doing a version, you know, a beautifully drawn version, and get a really good writer on board to do an adaptation of it for a comic. I think you're absolutely right. If that was pre-2012 Lucasfilm, I think Disney, though, I don't think they'd go anywhere near it. Probably wish they probably wished he hadn't even mentioned this because it just... <laughs> They, pr- they probably wouldn't thank us for having this conversation, but I think as Star Wars, this is going to sound really pretentious now, not that I consider myself this, but there's people who are, who do consider themselves to be essentially Star Wars historians who've read all the various drafts of all the different films and have a view of where could it have gone, you know, like a Star Wars Infinities type thing. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think that's part of the lifeblood of Star Wars is the fact that if you and me weren't having this podcast, there's every chance – all things being equal, we'd be sitting at a, having a coffee at MCM and we'd get onto this topic anyway and talk about it as fans. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that keeps Star Wars, and it has kept Star Wars alive for, what, 44 years now this year? Chewing it over and talking about it, I don't think any topic should ever be off the table to discuss in terms of Star Wars. And it's Lucas. He's our Walt Disney. Why wouldn't we want to see this? But I don't think we ever will, sadly. I, I would love to be wrong. Hello, I'm Ahmed Best, and you're listening to Femta Tracks. So this is from my friend Greg Alonzo. Over the past 21 years of Star Wars Lego, whenever Lego released a new version of a vehicle set that had been done previously, the piece count, price, and accuracy have increased. But it appears from recent leaks that in 2021, LEGO are doing something different and are releasing new versions of several previously released vehicle sets with a significantly lower piece count and price. Is this LEGO reacting to the risk of making the cost of sets too high to the average non-collector buyer? Are LEGO taking a risk with potentially compromising the accuracy of these sets or is something else going on? Thanks. Greg Alonso. So I think it's a great question. I wish we'd got to it way earlier because we've had this in the bank forever. So do you think Lego are looking at the cost of these ships? Apparently there's news that there's a Lego, a new Lego Death Star coming out. There's something crazy like eleven thousand pieces. There was that massive Falcon. We've had yeah. other big sets. And they don't generally scale down once they've scaled up, but now they are. Do you think that's as Greg asks, do you know, do you think that's in reaction to the high price of some of the sets and they don't want really to scare people away? Possibly. Let's be honest. Lego
0: probably even more so than, I think, Hasbro Action figures these days, has a much wider and broader demographic in terms of age ranges. Oh, yeah. And let's be fair, if you go down the route of buying the Black Series, you're paying, what, 25 quid a figure. So they're pricey, but you could manage to afford one, I think, most months. Whereas... Yeah, you know, the, the UCS collections, as, as amazing as they are, they are pretty prohibitively expensive. I mean, if, if I was like an 11-year-old and I said to my dad, can I have a then Falcon and said, oh, yeah, by the way, it's 700 quid. Well, then that's me probably doing about, I don't know, 70, maybe, maybe 80 car washes. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing, you know, yes, I suppose for the, the UCS range... It says it in the title, it's the Ultima Collector Series. Yeah. The collectors who are serious, who will build these and then probably not break them apart again and anything like that. And and that's got a, a certain demographic. But then why, as a company, would you then want to limit the option to allow younger fans or maybe fans who aren't so financially well off the option to basically get similar vehicles so yeah. it, it kind of makes sense to me um, obviously I suppose there will be the Lego completists who will probably want to go out and get both levels of sets but then I suppose it comes down to it: if you've got the money and you can afford it fair play to you I suppose but yeah. I think it's, it makes sense and, and especially as I think Hasbro I would say largely with their Star Wars collections now really focusing in more on the collectors. I mean, again you Look at the prices of, of some of the vehicles, the Benelli Falcon, which came out via Galaxy's Edge, on that was what 400 quid, and you know, yeah. Razor Quest and stuff like that. So, you know, Lego, I think, has got the, the ability, they've got the scope and the scale to be able to probably supply and offer kind of sets to the two different ends of the collecting market, not necessarily have any kind of like major issues from supply and demand, and you know, just fans kind of pushing back,
1: I would think, anyway. As a yeah. as a non Lego collector, same. I think you've nailed it. Actually, I think I think Hasbro and Lego have a very similar specific vehicle in the Falcon. In that Lego released that monster beautiful set a couple of years ago in that beautiful big box, a big square box that was, however, that was uh, seven thousand pieces or whatever it was. Yeah, and then you go back what two thousand eight when Hasbro released the BMF, the Big Millennium Falcon. That was an amazing piece. What was it? About a couple of foot wide. It was huge. It yeah. was probably bigger than that. It was a fantastic piece. Now, every time a new film comes out, for Hasbro to feel like they've got to re-release that monster piece, one, it's a risk because it's so expensive to make. You know, if the old one sits on the shelf there, they'll sit there in perpetuity potentially. Two, for a buyer, a parent buying that vehicle for their kids, they're suddenly thinking, I've got to shell out three hundred or four hundred quid or whatever. So that doesn't work. So when they release that much smaller. Force Awakens Falcon, with the missile firing stuff and all that malarkey inside it, which is a really nice piece. I've got it. It was a really nice ship. Then that's much more affordable. You're probably looking nearer pushing 100 for that. Same with the Lego. They released that crazy, amazing Lego about four years ago, three, four years ago, uh, that cost six or 700, and cost Lego more value than gold now, so that's only ever going to go up in value. To release a Falcon, like a solo era Falcon or, you know, any of the other films that a collector can hop onto if they're getting into the latest film and that's where they hop onto, they're going to want to buy it. I get the logic of doing it. Greg makes a great point in terms of is it a risk compromising the accuracy? But you've just said about UCS, that's obviously high-end, high detail. If you're scaling down, I suppose that's the beauty of Lego, a modular system is that you can sort of scale it down. If it's well-designed, you can. i mean, good grief. You buy a Lego magazine every week and or every month rather, and okay, they're 20 pieces and you can build a you know a razor crest out of like 20 pieces of Lego. It's ridiculous. But nevertheless, it's it's visibly the razor crest. Now I'm not comparing that to any of these other pieces, but nevertheless, it does show the malleability of Lego to be able to design these different shapes and sizes, increasingly as they add new bricks and new pieces. It just gets better and better. So I totally get the point. Again, I'm not a Lego expert, but it does seem to be unique to Lego that now they're going the other way as opposed to scaling up, they're scaling down. But I think it just broadens their scope. So that's the mailbox, emptied for
0: another couple of weeks. If you do have a question or a comment, or if you want to argue about anything that me and Mark have said in this episode, uh, you can kind of get in touch with us. And as always, Mr Newball's going to tell you how you can do it.
1: And I'm going to try and do it in one breath. If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit fanfotracks.com or check out the free Fanfotracks app, through the app store to follow us on your mobile device you can reach out to us and send in those listeners questions Mark was just talking about by emailing radio at fanthatracks.com like he says the mailbox is empty we're as empty as Santa's sack so send in some questions comment like and share on any of our social media feeds at Fanthatracks and be sure to subscribe leave a review we could do some five star ones please on Amazon Music Audible Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice and as always thanks to James Semple for composing the tracks intro Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers I did take a couple of breaths I'm sorry I was going to say I thought I had a breath I know I know couldn't <laughs> help it couldn't help it be sure to watch Good Morning Tatooine our weekly news show live on Tracks Facebook every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock GMT and later on Tracks TV on YouTube and on the site it's back on the 17th so it's not on this week it's on next week so it will be back thank you Mark I really needed that I've had a long week and I look forward to talking Star Wars and it was good fun as always Oh, you're welcome, matey. I look forward to next week's episode. So
0: everybody, from me and from him, stay safe. We are all Republic. Coming up next on Tracks Radio, it's cannon fodder.